Hello friends, and we're glad you're back for episode number 42 of No Putts Given, and we've got a great debate today. Should we roll the golf ball back? I'm going to put the guys to the test and put them on the spot, so let's get it. No Putts Given is powered by My Golf Spy, the most extensive reviews in golf. Before you buy, My Golf Spy. Nine million readers do it every year. Check us out. Okay, we've got the guys dancing to our intro music, but we have Adam, Harry, Chris, and Tony. I'm Miranda this week. Guys, how's it going? Splendid. This It goes. I said that like I'm not Miranda every week. I'm Miranda, yeah, I know. and this I week. Like, <laughs> I'm Miranda this week. Well, okay. <laughs> Next week, you don't know. <laughs> I'm interested to see what sort of comments we get this week because we're talking about rolling the golf ball back. Um, Adam, can you give us a quick, I see Harry's face already. Can you give us a quick rundown on what we mean when we say roll the golf ball back? Well, it's not, I mean, not what we mean, I guess. It's just what people are saying from the Jack Nicholas's to the Colin Montgomery's to the Paul McGinley's. Um, the number they keep coming to is rolling the ball back 20%, which this week happened because Bryson DeChambeau was dropping bombs out there on the golf course. And the older generation doesn't seem to like that necessarily. I have the comment here from Colin Montgomery. I'll read it for you. Um, He said, the game has changed dramatically. It's now brute force and a sand wedge. I'm an advocate of what Jack Nicklaus proposes, a tournament ball for professionals that goes only 80 to 85% as far the time has come. Well, here's the the, the debate, in my opinion, is Bryson... Yes, he's bulked up a ridiculous amount and hitting at Mars. If you rolled the ball back, he's still going to be out driving everyone by the same amount of distance because everyone else is going to get that 20% reduction in the ball. He's still going to be doing it. Well, back up a little bit, I guess. Where do you think this stems from, Harry or Chris or Tony? Like, why do you think these people come out and think this way? Because they, they, they see the tour average going up for the driver's distance. But technically, from the last time I looked, it's not going up that dramatically yeah that's part of it i think it's selective a little bit and we'll we'll hopefully talk about that later on but you know look at the people that are frustrated by the current state of the game and i see a couple different commonalities one um they're an older generation of player i mean all the different players we talked about now uh you know their heyday was decades ago um assumably the game was somewhat different at that point though uh, I would argue that you know, during Jack Nicklaus' time, right, he was one of the longer players out there in tour and, and had a significant advantage because of how far he could hit the ball. Um, so what I think they see is no different than what we see every generation where parents don't like their kids' music, right? I mean, has there ever been a, a turnover generation where it's like, ah, these kids and their music, you know, that loud rock and roll and and all that kind of stuff. and I don't know. My mom's a huge Snoop Dogg fan, so maybe she broke the mold. But yeah, your, but- mom, your mom is awesome, <laughs> number one. But I think, I think it does two things. One, I think it kind of violates their norms around what they think golf should look like. So Jack Nicklaus has a picture of what golf should look like. Colin Montgomery, Paul McGinley, whomever. In their head, they have an idea of what they think golf should look like. Whether they get to decide that or not, I don't know. But this somehow violates what that looks like to them. And secondly... It is different than what it was like when they played, and they see that being different and, and in some ways uh, not so good. 
Yeah, we, we talk about like people that get stuck in a certain decade, right? Whether it be a hairstyle or the jeans they wear, you know, like tigers, pleats or whatever, right? And there's a point in time where some people just say, all right, I'm kind of done learning and this is where I'm, I'm happy in this area with music, style and everything. And I think for a lot of golfers, Colin Montgomery or whoever, in their mind, like you said, Chris, they have a thought of what golf's traditions were for them on a timeline, you know? But that timeline for them is not the same timeline as it is for Harry Nodwell, right? He's a younger generation. So that is a constant evolution of what golf means to you. Uh, But at the end of the day, just like, remember, Bryson didn't win. I mean, just because he was bombing the ball out there doesn't guarantee you're going to win. I also think one thing to bring this back to the every person listening to this and just think about what this means to you. So I'm going to give you three scenarios. If you are Harry Nodwell or someone else that hits the ball 300 yards, you are now going to be hitting the ball 240 yards. Okay? If you're Tony Covey and hit it 250, you are now going to hit it 200 yards, right? And if you are someone else that hits it 200 yards, you're now going to be hitting it 160 yards. Now think about what that, new, what that game of golf looks like to you the next time you go to play, hitting at those distances, and tell me if that's something you want to do. I would say no. But I don't think they're arguing to put it on the amateur level. I think it's just the, the tour. But if they, did re, if they did put it all into roll the, all the golf balls back, no one will, no, the, the game will die. The game will die. But I think from the manufacturer perspective, you can't just do it on the pro level because are you only going to make balls for the, the pros because then you lose your audience in terms of I'm buying this ball because so-and-so plays it. I think that ends up coming back on the manufacturers and they lose money. Yeah, I think when you look at the possible solutions and which ones cost the most and are the most effective and it, it generally comes down to it's hard for people to kind of they struggle to digest the most simple solutions, right? And sometimes the most simple solutions are the best. And we've talked about it at nauseum, kind of about growing the grass. And it sounds so stupid and simple that you'd go, there's no way that could possibly solve the problem. And it doesn't solve all the problems. But when you look at all the potential solutions that people have been putting out there for decades now, the, the difference is this. You can grow the grass and try these things next tournament and find out how these things result. You know, what are the results when you do this? So I don't know. It's just a lot of talk. And it does seem to be, like Chris said, always from the older generation. And it also tells me that they're not willing to evolve and everything evolves. So you either get with the evolution or you become a dinosaur. Well, let's put it this way. If we presented it to the professionals, the guys on the tour, what do you think that their opinion on rolling the back, rolling the ball back would be versus the amateurs? Because 99% of golfers are not professional golfers, they're amateurs. So the majority of the game isn't played by professionals. What do you think the difference in opinion would be between the two groups? It's a good question. I don't, I don't know that you're going to get a lot of people really excited um, about that, at least initially. Um, I think the problem is, like I said, when you kind of examine the different 
potential solutions. There's major, uh, I, I would say almost catastrophic pitfalls with a number of the different solutions, you know, and, and until you can answer a couple very specific questions, it's kind of hard to get beyond that. For example, who is going to manufacture this tournament ball? What, what OEM wants to step up and do that? Now you got to make a ball with really absolutely no resale possibilities. Nobody in the market is going to actually buy this ball if, you know, uh, for no other reason. Maybe, maybe some novelty purchases or something like that. But you know, the reality is who wants to buy that ball? Um, yes, maybe they have the R&D in place to be able to turn back the clock a little bit. But again, how, does that, how do you incentivize a company to want uh, to want to do that. I, I, I think that's a huge pitfall. And what, what's a player's incentive to want to hit it shorter? Why would a, why right. would a tour pro be for this? Like wh- what tour pro out there is going, Oh man, let's just roll this thing back. This is going to be great. Well, theoretically, maybe, um, some of the shorter hitters, if there was a way to kind of graduate it. Well, if it is, if it's a, if it's say, you know, 20%, who knows if it's going to be, if it would be 20, 15 or even 10, but you know, you take, you take 20% off a guy who hits it, you know, use the Bryson number 340 now, and 20% off a guy that only hits it 280. Those balls now are a little bit closer together than they were. Because the guy on the long end is actually giving up more distance than the guy on the short end, more actual yardage. So, you know, if if you are kind of a, a bottom-of-the-distance table kind of guy, you might be in favor of the rollback because that, <laughs> that'll bring you a little bit closer to the longer hitters, but... Well, here's the, here's the thing is is Bryson's swinging at 126 miles an hour. If he gets that he's wrong over by, that now. Right. He's swinging it that fast. But if he gets it wrong just a fraction, that thing, that ball is going miles into a bush or miles offline. So if you grow up the rough and you grow up and you narrow the fairway, you grow up the rough, does he hit those drivers more often? Well, that's what I've always said. Like golf is a risk. It's a risk reward thing, right? Exactly. So if, I, if I'm looking at a hole that is just rough that's up to my face in, and you're never going to find it, I am not taking my driver out. I'm playing to the 150-yard marker and then I'm going on the green. Okay, but then you're penalizing somebody that has kind of hacked the game, right? Like they've looked at the numbers and seen that I can do these things over here or I can do this and this is going to maybe make me the most money right, or chance to win by just getting as strong and hitting it as far as possible. So he's going out and doing that, right? And he, he said he was going to do it, and the man went out and did it. And so are we going to just be penalizing him by growing the grass? That is the one concern I have where you go, okay, this guy hits it way down here. I'll grow the grass farther way down there, you know, so he's going to stand on the tee box and have a decision to make. Do I pull out the driver or do I not? And if he doesn't, is that only penalizing the people that have kind of put in the work to game the system, right? Well, first, I think I think we need to, because the the architecture guys will will jump all over us when we say grow the grass. We're not we're not suggesting turn everything into a jungle or kind of that <laughs> that four foot unhittable fescue. It's just enough so that there there is a a real penalty for being in the rough, right? Put it back to to how it was back in the day, if you will, right? Um, the fairways too, for that matter. What what does a quarter of an inch look like in terms of you know the impact on launch and spin and all that stuff? Does that does that not only reduce some of the roll that we see, but does it also sort of make that that second shot that 
that accuracy piece, if you will, right? Does that make that a little bit more challenging? Um, so that's kind of what we mean. But one of the arguments you hear against these long hitters is like, it, well, that takes all the skill out of the game if you're going driver wedge. Well, you know what? If if driving the ball a long way wasn't a skill, everybody would would do it, right? The fact that that Bryson has been able to to tack on yards where now he's he's putting it 40 yards past Rory McIlroy is I mean that that takes effort that takes work that takes skill so but he's also playing a five degree driver yeah but what are you saying that if everybody plays a five degree driver they're going to hit it as far as Bryson that's not that's not no the case. I'm saying but if it is a five like that's close to long drive driver uh, lofts right yeah, no, sure. he's he's definitely kind of flirting with that that long drive type build without the without the massive shaft length. Yeah, do you make that spec? You can't go lower than x amount of degrees. Well, then again, so so why, right? You're you're sort of to do that. If you do that, you take the position that we believe as an organization, the USGA RNA, that that driving the golf ball a long way is either not a skill or or not a skill to be as valued as as highly as other skills within the game, and so you're you're specifically punishing a segment of of, of your players who have worked to develop that skill. And in some cases, right, like you know, some of these guys were yeah. were born with with some ability to to swing faster than others. But I mean, it, swing speeds are are going up, and it's it's not just because you know just luck of the draw. Like these guys are working on this. But let me ask you a question with that, right? You you take a look at that um, Colin Montgomery, right? Nothing is stopping him with the things that are available to everyone right now, whether it be super speed golf or the gym or whatever, from working out and attaining the same up, you know, similar skills to what Bryson is doing, right? Anyone and everyone can do this, and that has been proven with these super speed sticks and some other things, you know. Golf is an interesting sport where you can play it longer. Mm-hmm. So this older generation that's still pros that you don't see in baseball or other sports are still hanging around playing sometimes and flirting with winning some tournaments. But they're sitting there going 50, 60 yards behind these guys. And they're like, man, this is we got to change this. Uh, I, I don't think that you do. But I also think that get in the gym, you know, do the same thing he's doing. And yes, granted, you're 50, 60 years old. So you might not be able to gain as much, but you can definitely gain some and you can get some of that back. So why do you think these people that come out like this don't go and try to do the same thing that Bryson's doing? Because it's hard. <laughs> Bingo. But it isn't becoming a professional really tough. And that's what separates the, the right. best pros from just the pros. They put in the it's hard. That was sort of what I was thinking um, when we were talking about this topic earlier. I couldn't get past the idea that it just kind of, uh, I might get bad comments for this, but it sounds like poor sports. I mean, just be better, hit the ball longer, and if you can't, figure out something that combats it. Adam, I told you earlier, it sounds to me, if we put it in the perspective of other sports, it sounds like somebody getting mad at a football kicker for being able to nail 61-yard field goals and then saying, well, okay, we know that you can consistently hit 61, so we're going to take and add 10 yards onto every one of the field goals you take. That doesn't That's penalizing somebody for figuring it out for being a skilled and good player. Well, and the other piece is, you know, have have we even gotten to the point yet where we've all agreed on a universal set of facts? 
I don't think we have. And I think when we get phrases like, oh, it's becoming driver and wedge, you know, it's becoming a pitch and putt, that's categorically untrue. Um, when you talk to guys like Lou Stagner and some of these guys who are deep into the statistics, what's becoming clear to me is people are cherry picking uh, specific incidents or examples of things to help fulfill that narrative. Guys aren't going driver wedge. There's a variety of different clubs being used to play into par fours. Um, I, I mean, argue whatever you want, but I think you watch any PGA Tour tournament, there's a lot of skill involved. I mean, are you going to tell me that Colin Morikawa, not a very skilled ball striker? Uh, if you watched this last week and said, yeah, not a lot of skill involved there. Really? I mean, uh, I think a tremendous amount of skill is involved in doing what they do, including the fact that driving the ball a long way is a skill. Putting is a skill. Had Bryson putted better, yeah, he probably uh, would have won, very easily could have won, but he didn't. That's part of the whole package. And so we haven't even agreed on how far amateurs hit the ball. We haven't even agreed on really how far tour players hit the ball because what you tend to see on the weekend, right, when do most people watch golf, if they even watch golf? Maybe on the weekend. Four o'clock Sunday afternoon. Four o'clock <laughs> Sunday afternoon, right? And so think about this. In an average tour field, you got 144 to 156 players, right? Okay. Half of them are gone after the first two days because uh, they didn't make the cut that week. These are still world-class players, right? These are the people that are the top one-tenth of one percent, whatever, in the world. All right. So now on the weekend, you got that half, right? Somewhere between 70 and 80 with ties. And you're watching the last four to six of those people that made the cut, and we're seeing a Bryson, and you're seeing a Rory, etc. That is not at all representative of the guy that missed the cut, that averages 270 off the tee, that shot 77-79, and has missed six out of the last ten cuts, and is scrapping it, right, scrapping around. That player might win. That player might be a Ryan Moore. That player might be somebody who has won uh, on tour multiple times. But, man, if they can get hot for two or three weeks, that's where they can make their whole year. But this idea that we're seeing one or two players on the weekend and people really honing in on Bryson, the fact they're only really talking about Bryson tells me that we don't have a complete picture that we're even agreeing on right now. Essentially what you said is we're only seeing the best of the best, so we have a selective sample of people that we're complaining about when really statistically the rest of the golf community is not suffering from this perceived problem. I mean, you had Barry Bonds. Well, you could also argue, right, that, you know, the guy, the guys that we're seeing are typically not, not exclusively, not always, but, but typically among the longest hitters on the tour. And so there, there absolutely is a correlation Certainly between between driving distance and, and earnings. But that's not new. That's not right. new. Length has always been an advantage. Yeah. Yeah, I mean if you penal if you penalize Bryson for hitting the ball for dominating the distance, you could have done the same thing with Tiger Woods when he was winning all those majors and say, All right, you're gonna start five over to give everyone else a chance. Like it's a kind of same kind of concept, but just related to something different. You're choosing one discipline yeah. of a multidisciplined sport and saying this is the one we need to cap. Again, there is there is concern, and it has become a legitimate concern that this this new run of distance is obsoleting these classic venues. Uh, but you know, I keep going to yeah, it's it's really a shame if if it gets to the point with driving distance where. Pebble Beach, for example, is no longer a suitable tour venue. Okay, 
That sucks, I guess, but it had a good run, and you guess what? You know what? It's still <laughs> available for the other 99.99% of golfers plus who, who play this game. So, you know, it's not like because because Bryson has added massive distance, Pebble Beach has to shut down and nobody gets to play there anymore. It's, right. it's just a simple right. case of, hey, you know what? The game has evolved, and so the venues have to evolve as well, and they're still going to be fantastic tournament venues. And if, yeah, I, you know, maybe it's heartless, maybe it shows an irreverence for, for the, the traditions of the game, but if, if some of these venues have to go away because golfers have become more athletic, more powerful, smarter in how they apply data to, to, to their craft, I'm okay with that. I am okay with that. If the tour has to play on a circuit of, of 8,000-yard courses – I'm okay with that. Let's let's have tour venues and you know, like I said, if if Pebble Beach is just for amateurs and recreational golfers now and and you don't see it on TV except for maybe some pro am thing every now and again, I'm okay with that. I'm okay and I, you know, this is this will not be popular. I'm okay if if we can't play St Andrews anymore. You know, that venue is still awesome. It's still timeless. It still exists for for golfers who who can make the pilgrimage if you will and play that course and if if it just happens that it it's obsoleted by athleticism, I'm okay with it. Yeah, and I think something you point out there, Tony, that that again, this goes back to a Lou Stagner thing I saw and and really agreed with this. This idea of people say, "Oh, distance is becoming more important." It's not. It's not. People are. We just have ways now to understand why distance is important. It was still important twenty years ago, thirty years ago, forty years ago. But the tools and metrics and things we have to be able to measure things, Mark Brody, right? Strokes gained. If he had strokes gained 30, 40 years ago, it would have changed the whole narrative. It's like saying, oh, man, protein, you know, ha- having a balanced <laughs> diet is so much more important in 2020. Well, no, it's not. But we know about people and their metabolisms and, and how that impacts maybe food you should eat and shouldn't eat and all the foods that I do eat. Oh, I right? Like, this is you got to bring it back to food, man. Every time it goes to food. Every time, but it's true. The man that metabolizes more ice cream faster than any human I've ever met. So it's it's kind of like the older generation being upset with the keto diet. Well, Chris don't know what the hell keto is. (laughs) I know. I I like how he brushed over. (laughs) Did you excuse me? Did you did you say Cheeto diet? (laughs) Yeah, I thought you said Cheeto. I like no. I love the Cheeto diet. (laughs) I love the Cheeto diet. Puffs the little popcorn. Keto. It's all good. (laughs) (laughs) No, but in what other sport? Is it irreverent to be okay with things that are 100 years old being obsolete? Like, why do those have to be the same thing? You know, Wrigley Field got an update, right? They had to update different things at different venues across. I mean, in what other sport do you look back 100 years and the people pining for, you know, NFL stadiums from whatever going, oh, man, you're just irreverent. You, you don't appreciate the traditions of the game. Well, would you move into a house? It was built in 1910 right now. Trade your house right now for one in 1910 because you can you, – you care about the You like the, the architecture? Of, yeah, you like the architecture? Great. Okay. Why does that have to be irreverent? Why do you even have to apologize for potentially being irreverent for something, something that's 100 years old? <laughs> well, I think the skill of the, the game is very different than the traditions of the game. I think if you're talking the traditions of the game, those can still – be people can still take a part of that while understanding that the game itself is advancing like Wrigley Field's a tradition Wrigley the the ivy walls are a tradition it's part of it the ivy walls are still there but that doesn't mean that guys aren't skyrocketing home runs way past it 
the baseball analogy is really interesting because for as as much as golf tends to to almost get lost in its tradition and is is viewed as kind of a slow plotting endeavor to a degree where where change happens slowly in terms of technology and and understanding you know sort of everything that goes into to swinging faster golf is is very much at the forefront of that and so we're starting to see it trickle down into to other sports so i mean it doesn't get talked about as a metric right but but fundamentally swing speed is a, a huge component of baseball as well and it, it seems to me almost inevitable that that swing speed across the major league is going to go up as well and you know it'll start with the younger guys coming out of the minors is is these started the same types of programs that that bryson has leveraged to gain swing uh speed with his golf swing that that's going to trickle into baseball as well and you know there there will be conversations about moving fences and and perhaps even rolling back the ball and things like that so you know to a degree as much as i'm i'm against any sort of rollback uh like golf is is ultimately going to be the sport that eventually or that leads what will become a larger discussion in the sporting world moving forward. Yeah, so that brings me to a good question, I think, and that is like, how many guys do you think now, after seeing what he did in that tournament, are going to be following that? How, ma- how many guys were in that tournament? <laughs> I mean, yeah, one fifty six. Call it. 1. Yeah, so four, one fifty six. So one hundred forty three, because Bryson already did it. I mean, that's yeah, it's it's. It's absolutely crazy just how fast he's done it and how effective it's been. And you know, when he when Bryson signed with Cobra going on what four five years ago, whatever it was, those guys were were insistent. They were like, "Look, he he's gonna win. It may take him a while to get rolling, but he's gonna win, and he's he's gonna win often." And I I think that would it would have proved to be true if if nothing has changed. You look at you know some of the stuff we've seen with with his foresight uh, impact patterns and things like that. The guy is is arguably the best ball striker in on the tour. It's like a robot. Yeah. In in terms of making consistent contact every time, hitting the center of the the club face every time. So he he was gonna win and he was gonna win a lot, I think. And now kind of if <laughs> if there's nothing to be done about distance, and certainly there's nothing to be done in the short term. Look out! I think you're going to see a guy who who wins more than a lot and is top five, top ten week after week after week because of of the newfound distance advantage. And again, it could be it could be the new Tiger Woods. There's nothing unique that I'm aware of in Bryson's DNA that gives him that advantage, right? Where you know something in <laughs> in his chromosomal makeup allowed him to be super. Well, I think there is. I think there actually is. Well, it's it's mental though. It's, it's exactly. But physically, he's not doing anything that that anybody else on the tour shouldn't be able to do. He's willing to take chances and not care what people think about in regards to the things that he's done, whether it be the flag stick or this or whatever it's been. The things he said he was going to do, he did, and almost all of them have improved his game. And, you know, you sit there and hear a lot of people mock him on the Internet. Oh, he's an easy target sometimes. Yeah, but at the end of the day, what did I say? How many people are going to be doing what he just did? If anybody wants to pick up what he disproved can be done, they're all going to be doing it, including Colin Montgomery. So um, maybe. I don't know if those biceps he's are... Already, he's already pretty big. <laughs> Let's put it in this perspective. Harry, I'm curious. 
put yourself 30 years down the road, could you see yourself buzzing around in your golf cart complaining about the state of golf in the future today, or do you adapt? I think you just adapt. I mean, you, you can't you can't say back in my day this was better because you live in a different time. Like, I think you just evolve with, like the world does. You just evolve and, and, and you pick up where you want to get off. I mean, I know technology is changing and shoes are now helping you hit it further. Um, clubs, obviously, are, you, everyone's getting more tuned in and dialed into their game, so they're becoming better. It's just an evolution of the game. It is. I, 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 it might have been Sasho McKenzie. I'm, I'm trying to think who kind of answered the question, but what, what does kind of like the ultimate golfer, the golfer of the future look like? And it's essentially like a long driver, long drive competitor with the skill of a PGA professional yeah. around the rest of the golf course. And I think, you know, Bryson is now over 190 miles an hour. I wonder, be interesting to talk to him and see what he thinks his functional ball speed ceiling is right before you get to the point where, you know, it's, it's a gear I don't need or a gear that's going to, going to take me off the road. But, you know, to right, right about now, if, if Bryson says, yeah, I think I can get to 200 by September, I'd be like, I believe you. <laughs> so <laughs> that's the interesting point is how this changes the landscape. And, um, that's what the ruling bodies deal with all the time, right? Is how much should they, change things can they change things would a tournament ball help uh solve any of the perception um issues that they have with some people and and at the end of the day i don't know that it does right because when you get guys like bryson um, guys that are willing to think outside of every box he's always been an outlier um yeah he's kind of cracked the code right and we're going to see more and more people uh brysonify their games i think a little bit and and that's just uh, that's going to be the reality moving forward. So what I'm hearing collectively is that it's not a problem yet. <laughs> well, I, I mean, it's it's clearly rapidly becoming a problem when you know you've got a guy like if you if you ran down the list of of guys who hit the golf ball too far. Uh, if you're inclined to make such a list, right? I, I think inarguably Rory would have been on that list, and you look at. <laughs> when he played with Bryson, the difference between those balls, as we said, upwards of 40 yards, um, Bryson has, has taken this to a new level, has taken the conversation to a new level almost overnight. And so if you were inclined to be against the rollback based on, on where guys like Rory and, and Dustin Johnson and, and Bubba Watson were hitting it, um, you know, it's fair to look at what Bryson's doing and, and maybe reopen the conversation again a little bit. But again, my, my position is, look, the, the consequence is you lose classic venues, right? There are still, there are courses being built, and I know people worry about water and, and the environmental impacts, but, you know, you only need but how many golf courses a year, there are how many in any year that can, can support the pro game. So, like I said, I'm, I'm good with, with some of these venues getting obsoleted because as much as I enjoy watching a, a beautifully executed shot into a green, whether it's, you know, shaped or sort of working with the slope of the green and, and having that degree of course knowledge, I turned on the TV Saturday to watch Bryson hit the shit out of the golf ball. <laughs> and, and, when, and when there was no airtime for Bryson, I turned off the television because I, I was no longer interested so yeah there is 
and and perhaps it is because he's now reached this level very quickly where it is the extreme from a distance perspective and he's so much longer than everybody else and that that to me makes makes golf as close to must see tv as as it's ever going to be with the exception of something like the masters or or another major possibly a Ryder cup it has the potential to 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 make some of these events that if we're being honest most golfers don't care about worth watching yeah, my question is define problem. You say, is it a problem? So de- depends on how you define what problem is. I think I think we we need to hear from the tour pros themselves and think, is it a problem with with Bryson hitting this far? Like I want to I want to hear everyone's opinion. Do they think that it should be rolled back or just keep it how it is? Like they're the ones that are playing the game. At the end of the day, it's not the Colin Montgomerys that are playing in the tour. It's the guys yeah, but- on tour. That's a tough I mean, one too, right? So if you're going to ask the people that now he's blowing it past 30, 40 yards. Right. Let's roll him back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah can we roll back the Bryson? We, yeah, we don't, we don't need a tournament <laughs> ball. We just need a, a, a Bryson ball. Like that's, that's ultimately what you're getting. I mean, right? do you – yeah, and what, what do you do? Find a guy that's a really, really good putter and say, God, man, that yeah. guy got way too good at putting. Well, that's, that's, we what what I was, that's exactly what I was thinking about, Chris, right? <laughs> like, so, like, driving <laughs> is the equivalent to, like, Sammy Sosa and McGuire, right? So it's must-see TV – it's the Bash Brothers. It's all this stuff, ah, right? But what would they do if some guy was just lights out putting and he he tried some new claw grip, right? And he was ten tournaments in a row just lighting it up. It was like Jordan Spieth when he was a good putter. Yeah. So do you think they're gonna be going? Hey, we've got to do something with that ball he's putting with or that putter he has. No, because it it's not as polarizing as a three hundred and sixty yard bomb off the tee. It's a six foot putt a hundred times in a row. You know. Putting really well doesn't obsolete a golf course, right? You, you sort of, I don't think, there's, there's not going to be like, oh my God, this guy is just nailing these putts so we can only play golf courses that have more challenging undulations, right? I don't, I don't think anybody's going to have that conversation. And so it's, it's, the distance one is easy to pick on because yeah, it, it runs the risk of, of making a course unsuitable for professional tournament play, which again, I am fine so with. So is that, the, is that con- the concern over competition? Is, is that we're losing courses that are dear to our hearts rather than, you know, the other guys can't keep up with somebody who drives this far? Well, again, the two arguments, right? It, it's obsoleting yeah. classic venues and it, it eliminates the skill from the game. Uh, and so I think I think the first one of those is inarguably true, and you just have to decide whether or not you're okay with it. And the second one, again, Bryson put on an absolute driving show, and he didn't win. Right. right. <laughs> Daniel Berger wasn't on anybody's radar until he won. Is kind of how that worked. And so I didn't hear his name come up until they said right. they won the tournament. So it yeah, it's it's distance is an advantage, but distance has always been an advantage, but the longest guy in the field doesn't automatically win. You still have to, you still, even if it's with a wedge, you still have to hit a really good wedge shot and you still need to make the putt. Otherwise, you know, you're, you're going to make par. Driving itself is a multifaceted skill. It's one thing to hit the ball really, really far. It's another to hit it really, really far. And, and what I would describe as playably straight. And again, you can, tune the golf course and adjust your fairway width and, and grow the rough a little bit, if just a little bit, if, if you think that this is a problem worth solving. But, you know, for the, for the average golfer, I can, I can hit it 300 yards, but it's, it's 300 yards 
dead left into somebody's <laughs> backyard. So there's, again, I'm the extreme example and others like me are extreme examples, but there is a difference between distance and functional distance. And to succeed on the PGA Tour, you have to be functional in your distance. Jamie Sadlowski, right? I mean, he can motor the ball down there 400 yards. He's not winning. He's, I believe he's longer than Harry. Yes. Oh, yeah, he is. <laughs> <laughs> he's not winning PGA tournaments right now, right? So it's not always, and he's a good golfer. So there's more skill involved than just hitting the ball long. Well, and nobody's, is anybody saying that we can't play courses like this weekend, right? We have RBC Heritage in Hilton Head, right? Different course. It's going to be more of that target golf, if you want to call it that, Marion, right? You have courses like that. So just as much as we're saying maybe it obsoletes certain venues, maybe it requires other types of venues where it requires a skill. Right, like these these tree-lined fairways, right, where they're, if you're a little offline, there's something that's going to snag your ball and either kick it somewhere you don't want it or, or drop it mm-hmm. at, at somebody's feet, you know, 150 yards short of where you were hoping. Right. We struggled a little bit in the last Ryder Cup in France, right? Something, a lot of that had a to little do bit. with course setup well yeah yeah we struggle a little bit (laughs) like i mean so again you can do all these things and 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 i get that it may quote unquote obsolete old courses but man again what else you know is 100 years old that isn't obsolete to what extent are there venues that aren't ideal if your primary main skill is a long drive can it be a disadvantage on any venues Um, we may find out this weekend if yeah. yeah, exactly like that. If you're playing on Lynx golf courses, you could be hitting it too far. They're rolling into thick, thick rough, and then you can't find the ball. So it depends. Like if it's firm and fast, if you get a straight hole and you get it downwind, yeah, you can hit it a long way. But in a Lynx golf course like me growing up, they are tight. And if you get outside of the fairway, you're in thick rough that is like heather and you can't move it. You just have to hack out sideways. So it it is, it's both both ways okay well i think that was a good discussion we've got some potential solutions but if it becomes a bigger problem we'll be back here talking about it again and actually i'm interested to see what everybody who listens thinks so let us know in the comments um and maybe we can dig into some of that later but i also want to talk about this week um tony i'm coming to you because i was hoping you were going to be wearing your square hat you have it close Oh, oh it somehow is. it somehow it matches the mustache. <laughs> it does. I mean, I, I can't see myself, guys, but I can only assume that this hat is the ultimate compliment to the mustache. Like it's, I, you don't have you don't have a van with dark windows, dude. I have a I, I have actually a van with no windows. <laughs> At <laughs> yeah. texted me earlier. Uh, he, he watched last week's episode. He's like, nice stash. And then, <laughs> like, hell yeah, it definitely kind of gives off a windowless van kind of vibe. But <laughs> he, asked me, uh, he asked me how it was going over with, with the wife. And I was like, yeah, you know, she doesn't love it. But where's she going to go right now? So <laughs> <laughs> we call that a lack of replacement options. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of flexibility you have to, with, your, with your spouse when you're in quarantine. Well, the reason I asked was because um, this week, the Squares shoes have been at the forefront of everybody's mind, and I, I want to know your thoughts. Uh, Harry, we tested shoes just recently. Did Were the Squares a part of the test? Yes. Yes, they had two models. How'd they do? Uh, middle of the pack. Okay. Average. Average. They are... How do I, oh, how do I put them. it? Okay. How do I put it? They are... I love certain things about them, and then I don't like certain things about them. Okay. 
I have to say, looking at the ones you have, Tony, they don't they don't look as blatantly or obviously square as I thought they were going to. Wait until you get them on. Maybe because the hat is so square. <laughs> yeah, the, the the hat definitely kind of is... offsets the shoe yeah, squareness. The, the the shoes actually have a little bit of curve, a little bit of contour as you move out of that toe box. Where this thing is just like, yeah, man, we are we are square AF. <laughs> <laughs> so here's my question: the square shoes finish middle of the pack. Is square the new shape of innovation in golf? I don't know. I think it's too early to say. I think they've got some. I think they've they've got a cool thing with having your the right m- amount of lateral movement. That might be it. No, is the square know. toe is the square toe going to be around ten years from now? Yeah, that, but that's what I mean. So the only way to get that potential lateral lateral movement is maybe getting a square toe box on there. Can you make improvements on the shoe that they have out now and keep the square toe and have it be a good shoe? Is there room for improvement? Yeah. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I. Harry has the obviously the insight on the actual testing piece. I, I have not. Next time I play, which I hope will be later this week or certainly this weekend, I'm going to wear this shoe. I haven't, I haven't tried it on the golf course. I've, I've worn it around the house a little bit. I tend to have wider feet. I don't tend to. I always have wider feet. They don't change. <laughs> uh, so I have, a, I have a wider foot, and I do it's find okay, I'm that Miranda it's... this week. <laughs> I, do, I do find that it is... You know, I, I do like the wider toe box, and they... In that... You know, limited to that part of the discussion, they're not the first to do that. Remember when when Nike True Links wear when well right. when True Links came out, right? That was kind of the the first True Links wear, which some people kind of kind of laughed off as clown shoes, right? Had like that really wide toe box, and they were they were super comfortable. I mean, that wasn't the most stable shoe, but it wasn't supposed to be. So uh, this has, as Harry said, there's some stability that has some potential there. Um, Stylistically, I think it's fair to say it, it could use a little bit of work. It's It'll perfect be... for Barba. <laughs> that was my next question. Barba at the PGA show like gathered us all up and said, I have to go show you this. It took us on a field trip to the Squares booth. And I'll give the um, their owner credit. He was very enthusiastic and loves his product, and Barba loved it just as much. Well, and some of the stuff they're saying, right, with the, with the square toe helping with alignment over the ball, I guess... You know, maybe, but uh, most of the most of the golf teachers I've worked with tell you to flare your toes. So, you know, do we need to, you know, kind of <laughs> do we need a rom do we need a rhomboid shape? <laughs> to, to a- well, potentially, it, it helps a lot in putting if you do line up square to the target and you square to the ball. The that's just another element to help you. Interesting. Align. I mean, I'm I'm willing to try it and see kind of yeah. perceptually how I feel about that. But the issues, the issues that I I had with it, it's 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 one of the heavier shoes that we tested. It was it reminded me of an old Footjoy classic that had like the wooden sole on it, which made it that much bulkier. Oh and yeah, heavier. like when you look at the breakdown of how the shoe is built from a component level, there's a lot going on there, which adds to the weight. You know where yeah. as you take like the Adidas Boost material, and it is so light and so comfortable. And they achieved that so much more simply than when you look at the breakdown of how the square shoe is built. It's pretty impressive, you know, to see how Adidas has done it, um, comparatively speaking to squares. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think that's a that's an excellent point because if if you kind of go back iterations of shoes going back years, really, 
one of the things that's changed significantly, right, is that that weight has continued to come down. And so yep. in that respect, while well, you do have this sort of modern take on, on design that is potentially innovative, right, it's, it's definitely different uh, from a material standpoint. It's tough, right? When you come into an industry, right, first year, and you haven't had that knowledge of evolution like Adidas has had where they brought these materials from different sports and all these things, what seems revolutionary that first year you come out with other companies have been working on for such a long time. Let's say you have one really good component in your shoe, right? Right. That you come out with your brand new company. You've got one really cool feature. The other companies just look around and go, well, we've got everything else figured out. We'll just take your square toe thing and put it in our next shoe. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's tough for a company to break in and know all the ins and out of how to make a great golf shoe where we've already got companies that make great golf shoes that couldn't just take your idea and basically implement it into their already great golf shoe. Well, yeah, and I think, is it the, is it the next thing in golf shoes, Miranda? Kind of back to your, your question, if you're still Miranda this, <laughs> this week. This week, yes. This week you're Miranda. Um, <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe not. I could easily see if there is something to this, which I believe there is. Like, if there's anything Squares has done, they've done a lot of research, right, from the from the – biomechanic standpoint like very intentional around how they created the shoe each part of the shoe has a certain function and um, you, you know they kind of, kind of really honed in on an objective for each different piece of the shoe there's probably some things there that really do work I think you may see that show up in some other shoes potentially and if so if there's anything to the square thing yeah, what well, you know maybe Adidas does pick that up maybe somebody else picks that up as a version of that it's been done though it's been done nike did it back years ago i think early 2000 i think they did well, they, they didn't really sell it as a story necessarily but they but. didn't but they they did create a shoe with a square toe it really wasn't for the same purpose at all they had the white saddle that came down the middle which gave it a squared version you know squared look but ultimately it was a super narrow toe box right i mean it right. crammed your toes in well you get the square toe it's kind of this this yes. measurement here from over there here to here go. is where you get that really the, the difference. And it's like you really feel like you can just take your toes and go, yeah, I got lots of room here. It's spread out a little bit like when, you're, when your wife leaves town for the weekend or forever and you can just, <laughs> kinda, just spread out in the bed. It's that, that kind of feeling. Tony, did you, um, when you're walking, do you feel like you're having that ripple effect from like heel, midsection to toe? Or is it heel, rest of your foot? It does kind of just, it feels a little when you're walking around, and again, I've only done it around the house, feels a little high-heeled, if you will. Like you're That's exactly what I had in the notes. Kind of an elevated. Like your heel is locked in. But it's, it's, yeah. it feels like it's a little bit small, at least on my foot, and it pushed my heel up slightly. So therefore, it didn't quite sit perfectly. Now, when testing, I did find out that I wasn't quite with the right size, so I requested the, the, a size down. And it did help with comfort and uh, stability. Yeah, they do. They do run a hair large. Yes. Half a size big is what I had. Well, regardless of what we think, it seems like the square trend at the very minimum, at least with squares themselves, is starting to catch on a little bit because Sir Nick Faldo has jumped on as an ambassador for squares. And um, Harry, you actually talked to Sir Nick yesterday. Yes. Um, why, what brought him to the square revolution? Um, through so all circles out, out the window. He, squares now. he said that he was doing some exercises outside and 
um, he had his golf shoes on at that point, and he didn't quite he didn't like how he wasn't balanced or anything like that. So he apparently jumped on the internet, typed in the best stable shoe, and up popped Squares. So he got onto his agent, who contacted Squares, the uh, owner of Squares, and sent a couple down, and he loved them. He's been walking on the beach with them apparently, walking around the house, walking all day on them. Do they make spikeless models? It's that 24 karat gold cash <laughs> money right, right there. there. <laughs> That'll do it. So yeah, this is like, I don't know if it's legit, if he really, really enjoys them or not, because he has had a little bit of a history of getting endorsement deals and then going away from them a few years later. So, Well, that, I mean, that's that's pretty much true of everybody he, who's yes, achieved any has, degree of status but in he professional has a golf. Lot. So. He has a lot. This kind of begs the question, (laughs) and I want to go around the room. Is there anything that if someone was paying you the right amount of money that you would not jump on to endorse? We'll keep it maybe in the golf family for the first round, and then I want to open it up to to everything. So what is a product we would say no to no matter how much money they offer us? There's so many products we say no to, so it's, you know. Well, let's say you're a professional golfer, though, Tony, and a company comes to you and they say, we're going to give you $5 million, and it's so bad, you have to say no. What is it? Anything Aaron Olberhoser endorses. <laughs> C3I ledge. I mean, hey, that thing works. Well, I joke, but we, yeah, we know that actually can help some people. So, um, yeah, yep. I don't. What about the elevator? Would you use the elevator for a million dollars a year? The golf elevator? Yeah, I think, you know, it's. The golf elevator is an interesting one because it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not a product that, that's bad or or fails at its intended design just I, unnecessary just case of, like, yeah i don't i don't really need this but you know, what about I, stay active stay, <laughs> well you know get back to me in a few weeks on that one we'll see like that could either be hell yes i'm you know sign me up right now or uh, no amount of money we'll we'll see how that turns out so far that sponsorship's free yeah, like I think about like a ridiculous, like an absolutely ridiculous, like apparel deal where like you know people are just going to be looking at you and saying things this the hat. whole time, like that, or like this, uh, maybe this hat is the answer. To what that. about the what about the shirt that Phil wore? The uh, the mizzen and main one, like mizzen. the dress yeah. shirt. Yeah, the well, I was thinking, I was thinking that or the one that um, I'd wear uh, a comfortable shirt. Yeah. Do you remember the one Ian Poulter wore one time? It was like a gold. The gold. Yes. It was like shiny, shiny yeah. and net. So like, if you said, "Hey, you got to wear this," and it's like hot and not breathable, and like cotton pants and whatever, like, dang, I don't know if I could do that. What if a healthy company like <laughs> wanted to sponsor <laughs> you, like like rabbit food, like a Vegan meat. Oh. What about Halo ice cream? Oh, Halo yeah. Halo ice cream. Halo ice cream that <laughs> oh. has like 90 calories. Vegan ice cream. Oh. That's tough, Tofu, man. Chris. Like instead of your luncheon meat, they send you tofu. Would you be the brand ambassador for tofu burger? No. 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 Nope. I would say this. It'd be a big price tag for me to go <laughs> yeah to i would i would have a hard time endorsing any food i wouldn't eat myself like that would be all right that. so haribo would it would you do haribo <laughs> yeah you know it's, it's if you it's, had to go out there and say haribo is the best gummies in the world, no I, I could not in good faith say that haribo is the best gummy <laughs> the, the albanese is the best gummy yeah this, oh this meat this this fake meat tastes just like meat no it doesn't can't do i that. could never endorse a green apple skittle they're what? the worst. They are the worst in the bag of Skittles. 
You know how it used to be lime and they still call it the original Skittles? It's not because green apple is not part of the original pack and it ruins the rest of the flavors. <laughs> Over well, it. Tell us how you really feel. I, to the po- I feel enough that I wrote Skittles a letter and they never responded. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> you might be insane. Green apple ruins the rest of the flavors. Like you, like you can't combine it anymore. You, you are way down the rabbit hole when you're writing to Skittles to complain about green apple. I want to know what Adam, Adam, what wouldn't you sell out for five million dollars you know when you say five million i think you know what <laughs> there's a lot of that I mean, that's too nothing there's <laughs> nothing i would sell <laughs> i think that i mean the list is pretty long for me um <laughs> adam's more principled than the rest of us i would definitely <laughs> say the squares hat um <laughs> i would say croc golf shoes Ooh, i i could not. i could get behind croc Golf shoes within sort of the the limited constraints of for backyard practice. Like, what about um glitter bag of dick bombs, Tony? Could you endorse those? <laughs> I think I've become the unofficial spokesperson as it is. <laughs> yeah, it's Tony's bag of dicks. But again, the the problem there is the quality of the gummy. Ooh, I've got a good one for Tony. Tony, if a shit golf ball call, company called you and said you're a pro golfer. You got to play this ball, and you got to go out there and say that our quality control is the best. And you've been cutting them open; they're not centered, they're thick cores. I mean, they're made out of recycled tires. Sometimes offered you twenty million. Twenty million dollars. You taking it? No, Ted might. But what if they said you have to play this ball, but our one requirement is that you cannot cut it open? Oh, that's. I mean, how do you not in that? Like, you just have to. Like, as soon as you say that. Harry, did you give did you give yours of what you wouldn't play? I don't know. I've already thought about it. Lame response. You have to know. <laughs> like, dude, you're you're trying you are trying to become a pro golfer, right? Like you need to start thinking this stuff through and be ready. You never know you never know what opportunity's coming. What about like a hat with like erectile dysfunction stuff all over it? <laughs> Wear it with pride. Yeah, I would I'd take mine. I don't care. I'm just saying. Hey, Tony, if you if you invent the umbrella with a gutter, I will be that person. <laughs> oh, yeah. There you go. I don't know, Harry. I have a bone to pick because if someone offered you $5 million, <laughs> I might, you might get a divorce. Ooh. If you didn't at least think about it. Ooh, then you get it all. Exactly. All That's million. my point. I would divorce <laughs> and then sign the papers after. I said when, you're, when your wife leaves for the weekend or, or forever. <laughs> yeah. You have to at least consider it. I would consider it, divorce you, and then and then <laughs> then sign after. But anyway, back to the original thought. Um, Harry Barber's working on that interview with Sir Nick Valdo now, right? Uh, it's published. It's already published. Oh, it's published. Yep. Okay. Yes. Um, it was good. It, Barber obviously is a, a true professional when it comes to interview, and he has all these questions, and I had, hey, can you can you knight me? <laughs> um, and he said no he could not do that But you do understand he's not actually the queen right <laughs> yes but I'm pretty sure he has a sword back at home so we could pretend yeah, that's, tonight that's, that's fair um, I don't know that he gets like a guest pass you know what he does it's get it's Disney though. World in, <laughs> in St. George's he does have a coat yeah. of arms hanging up above uh, in, in St. George's which is pretty cool because me and Miranda went there um, last well, two years ago and yeah you can see all the knights um, that got knighted are all up on top in the rafters, and they and if they're if they're deceased and they haven't changed it, they turn their heads around. 
Um, so th- those cool little traditions. So Sir Nick Faldo is up there in St George's with his coat of, with coat of arms. Nothing to do with squares, but <laughs> yeah. I think here's my dilemma. If squares did better in the test, I could see where he is coming from. Right now, I'm because I've tested so many shoes back to back and head to head. My viewpoint yeah. has not is not going to change at this at this present time. So un- unless though my my pushback there would be unless Sir Nick Faldo showed you his foot right perhaps he does kind of have that that he might wider have that foot normally, that just yeah. kind of fits right in there so that like I said that's that's kind of what intrigues me stylistically um, maybe not exactly my thing although I do like some of the little details like the the square eyelets and things like that and then like even on the laces yeah the like laces is pretty cool because they, it, so. it holds into place. Uh, yeah. the whole so there's, so there's some stuff sweet. here that was was well thought out, um, perhaps more so than the hat I'm wearing. Uh, so yeah, it's it's worth trying. <laughs> Tony, I am um, I'm curious if we sent you something like if we sent you shoulder pads to put in your in your polo there, would you like go for a full square outfit? Would you wear the shoes, <laughs> like the shoulder pads, really boxy like like looking like a pants? David David Vo- Bowie video from the yeah. Oh my god, we long time ago. Tony, uh, Ricky Fowler was just on the scene, and Tony and I put together this whole, he was all orange, he had long hair, and Tony had this character that he was going to bring out called Sticky Fuller, that basically (laughs) Ricky Fowler had stolen his whole look, you know, and Tony had orange shirt, orange pants, orange shoes, orange hat, orange bag, Cheetos in the bag, um... (laughs) He had it all. He had a white wig to go with it. I think. I think it was we like, kind of like the the Ricky cut from back in the day. Yeah. Picks or it didn't happen. It I know. Have pictures. It didn't happen. It, it came close. <laughs> we just had a little trouble. Well, I don't know. What? Let's let's take the over under. Do we think the square toe lasts ten years? Ten? No. Five. I I would say three. I think it's okay. going to last three years with squares because I think they have some financial backing that could get them through three years but no i mean unless unless they did something else with the shoe um in a drastic way that makes it more appealing i think it still gets the benefits if it had become a big thing in some other sport or something where more people had become accustomed to seeing that look it's just so different looking when you see it that oftentimes different is looked at as a gimmick in yeah. sports, uh, especially in golf. I mean, go back to again when when True Linkswear came out, right? It was kind of the same thing. Like, oh, this is this is weird and it's different, and this is never going to catch on. And you know, well, that that you know, the company isn't the same, and it's it's gone through some iterations and evolutions and things like that. They're they're still around, and from what we can tell, doing reasonably well. So I'm saying there's a chance. You know the difference there, though, when they came out. Um, they had some marketing around that, like zero drop for one, which that was big trend at the time. But two, when you put them on the very first time, like in the PGA show, when they launched everybody that they said, all right, go walk around with them. They were the most comfortable thing in that space that you had ever felt for a golf shoe. And two, they had some style to them. So they had a lot of other things going for them. Than I, just, I, I wouldn't say that the first the first kind of Gen 1 True Links where had a whole ton of style to it. I still uh, have them. I mean, I thought they were pretty slick. I mean, kind of like a, an interesting kind of look, I guess. And that's, you know, different 
maybe well, kind of a, a cool Barba vibe, but... versus younger demographic, I guess, was the difference. Yeah. You could, you could put Barba in a pair of clogs and he would still think they're great. <laughs> and that's, I mean, you can, you can, you know, go back to within, what, two to three years of each other, kind of the the two shoe brands that, that launched at the show to a degree and, and built up a lot of buzz early were were True Linkswear, which, again, still around, still doing reasonably well, and then remember Kicker. Mm. Right? And that oh, one yeah. that one didn't last. And, and to my mind, the the difference there was that the True Linkswear was insanely comfortable and, and the Kicker shoes were kind of the opposite of that, right? They kind of looked cool and had kind of like that skater vibe to them, but they, they weren't particularly comfortable. So, you know, just dis, don't discount comfort, right? Skechers sell shoes. So if, the, if these things are insanely comfortable for for walking 18 holes and particularly for wide feet and can can show some benefit in the swing right that's an interesting kind of angle where you know faldo mentioned picking up some head speed things like that it's you know yeah people might get that if if the story is real if if it's real and it's quantifiable and and you notice the difference yeah yeah then there's a chance but if it's if it's just another shoe particularly if it doesn't evolve and become more stylish and and lighter weight then then you know yeah i think chris said it you know like uh we were talking about the sketcher shoe and he's like yeah like super comfortable shoe anybody's willing to invest some money on a really comfortable golf shoe right and see how it works the problem with the squares versus the sketchers is Skechers is comfortable for 60, 70 bucks and squares is pretty comfortable for $200. You know, it's a big, that's a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, yeah. I mean, that's the thing you're willing to, you're, you're, most people are going to be willing to, to spend 80 bucks and, and take a shot that, that a shoe is going to be comfortable and, and meet their expectations where when you, I mean, that, that's, you know, when you talk about the Skechers and the Inesis, which, you know, again, stylistically, right, to keep coming back to that, don't don't necessarily have the look that golfers want to see. You're, you're willing to forego a little bit of that for, for an $80 price point. But if you're if you're competing on price anyway with, with Adidas and, and FootJoy and some of these more established golf shoe footwear brands, then, yeah, I think, I think it's fair to say it, it does become a little bit of a tougher sell. Time will tell. Yeah, before we go to, um, I know we don't have the exact date, but we have been getting a lot of emails and inquiries about uh, the driver swing speed breakdown, and we will be publishing that very soon. There was some delay because of some pandemic things, obviously the coronavirus and uh, a couple other things that we wanted to do data-wise a little bit differently this year, but that will be coming in the next probably week to two weeks. So just an update for everybody. We will be releasing the Mallet article here very soon as well. Uh, so that's all completed. We are crunching the data, and Tony has it in his hands now. So he's going to plod, do his normal plodding through it. Feed it to the machine. Yep. See what gets spit out the other end. Um, so that's coming. We've started testing here. Um, Philip uh, Bishop is our new um, director of hard goods, uh, and he's plowing through the uh, player's distance as we speak. So... More tests to come. All right. Well, I would introduce you guys to our new pup, but she's, well, she's actually staring a little bit. Puma, come here. The new My Ghost White mascot. It's the only time I've ever woken her up because it's great when she sleeps, but this is Puma. She's driving us nuts, but in the best way, right? She's literally so like you have these. two of those in your house now, huh, Miranda? Yeah, exactly. Mm. Okay. That's it. We out. We out, dog. Give me some treats. <laughs>